Hello and welcome to the Room of Lives. I'm your host, Neil. Today I'll be talking with Blue, a 23-year-old homeless girl that I met in New York City. Over the course of an hour-long impromptu conversation on a busy street, she told me a great many things. Stories of her experiences, her passions of farming, art, and music, and her outlook on life and death. Before we listen to that conversation, let me first answer the obvious question. How did this conversation take place? In October 2018, I went to New York City to attend the Horizons Conference on Psychedelics. During a lunch break, my friend Lisa Nett, who I met at the conference, and I went to eat at a nearby Mexican taqueria. Because of some confusion with our orders, I ended up with an extra box of meat salad. Lisanette walked back to the conference venue before me, and I was walking back by myself when I saw a homeless guy and a girl sitting on the sidewalk. I offered them the box of food, and they happily took it. But then the girl looked into the box and said, Oh no, I can't eat this. I'm vegetarian. You can take this and give it to someone else. I found this interesting, so I stopped and talked to them for a while. I found out that his name was John and her name was Blue. She had named herself after a character that she identified with from a comic called Blue Monday. When I heard her name, I told her, hey, my name's Neil, which also means blue. So I'm often wearing blue as I was at that time. So we just kind of laughed and talked about it for a while. She was very cheerful and pleasant. We spent some time talking, and then I continued on my way. Later that day, Lisa Nett and I were waiting on some smoothies at a smoothie place near the conference, and I still had that box of food. When she pointed out another homeless person with a sign next to a subway station across the street. So I went up to this person and offered them the food. The person looked into the box and said, Oh no, I can't eat this, I'm vegetarian. And then I realized that it was blue. I just hadn't recognized her because she was now wearing a beanie. I sat down next to her and we started talking. Soon I told her about my podcast and that I had been thinking of interviewing homeless people for my podcast. She was very excited and happy to talk to me. And over the next hour, I sat with her on this loud, busy New York City street. And I recorded with my phone as she told me about how she became homeless, about plant medicines, and about the psychedelic experience that turned her into a vegetarian. She told me her experiences of working children's rides at a traveling carnival and working in a farm in upstate New York where the workers forced her to watch brainwashing videos about how the plants are talking to them and used a suicidal friend of hers as a guinea pig for herbal medicine experiments. She talked about touring around with her friends playing folk punk music and actually played the ukulele and sang me a song that she had written. She talked about the joys and liberties of the homeless life, the care and support that she has experienced in the homeless community, and how she feels about our lives, careers and retirements with respect to hers. We talked about the meaning and meaninglessness of life and death, and about God. She was very articulate and intelligent, but also full of a lot of optimism and love for life. I missed the evening's conference lectures in order to talk to her, but it was worth it. I really felt that my most educational time of the whole weekend conference was this conversation that I had with her. During our conversation, I offered to fly her with me to Austin and to let her stay at my place for as long as she needs. She thanked me profusely, but politely declined, saying that she had plans to travel and play music with her friends. She scribbled down the name of my podcast on a piece of paper and told me that as soon as she gets a phone, she is going to look for it. And then at some point, we said goodbye, and I walked off, wondering if I will ever see her again, where she will end up, and if she will ever get the chance to listen to her own podcast episode. 
So here is my conversation with Blue. If you enjoy hanging out in the Room of Lives, consider donating Ether to abhranil.eth. That's A-B-H-R-A-N-I-L dot E-T-H. funny because like we're two blues like, i know we're both blue <laughs> yeah that's so, so cool. this is my name okay opera neil opera means sky blue anil means blue that's beautiful so it means blue sky i'm always wearing blue i'm from india all right sweet um so yeah so let me tell you first okay i don't i don't think i should tell you first i want to hear from you why you think it's a good idea to talk to homeless people okay well First of all, most people, like just most people passing by, or just anyone, yeah. they don't really, they don't stop to talk to you, they don't, most people are really mean, like, um, it, it's, it gets to be really dehumanizing, yeah. because people will give you dirty looks, people will like, I've had people spit at me, I've had people yell at me, and like, I mean, and a lot of people have been like, beaten up, raped, like all this stuff, and then, you know, you're already at the bottom of the barrel. You have nowhere to, to live. You know, you're living day to day, and people kind of hate you for it, for being poor. It's just really terrible. But, like, even a smile, like, just the littlest things make my day just because most people treat you like crap. So, like, you know, when you came by and you were like, do you want this? Like, it made me really happy. Or just, like, somebody giving me a tampon or anything like that. Like, people really don't realize how, how dehumanized other people treat us. It's pretty, pretty sucky. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of examples right now. I've had, yeah, like, um, like it just gets sad. Like I remember one day I was sitting outside of a CVS. You know, you look at me like I'm small. Like I'm not, I'm not. You know, I don't do any. I don't. I'm not like addicted to anything. I'm not. You know, I wouldn't hurt anybody. And I was just sitting outside of a CVS, flying a sign. And this lady walks by with her kid, and she like pulls her closer and like looks at me as if I'm like something disgusting it's, things like that stick with you you know it's yeah. it's not cool but like yeah just the littlest things can make someone's day really yeah. so yeah so um I also got this feeling that yeah okay so one reason I want to talk to more homeless people is that no one's listening to them oh no absolutely not and my medium is going to be this highly technological one like podcast so the cream of the cream of the people around the world are listening to this awesome so it's going to be a way to plug the most voiceless to the ones that are that's awesome at the edge of this and i think people will be interested a yeah, lot I, I hope so i i come from this bubble of urban middle class well educated liberal people mm -hmm. and i know that i'm very curious and i want to hear about this, hear the stories of homeless people. Oh, yeah. And I have a strong feeling that other people are interested as well. Yeah. Now, if they're interested, why aren't they not coming and talking to you? There's all this social yeah. conditioning and it's, yeah, about it's how to regard homeless people. It's absolutely that, a stigma. You know, people tell them, like, you know, we're dirty, we're addicts, we're, you know, we want to mug you, we want to do this, this, and that. When really the majority of the homeless folks I know, we become homeless because we come from broken homes and all this stuff. And then we end up on the streets, but then we find this community of people who want to care for each other, and they're usually the most beautiful people. And, and most of the time, when you're hanging around homeless folks, they'll tell you which homeless folks you shouldn't hang out with because you know they're not they're not right in the head, or they'll do this. Or whatever. But yeah, the, it's it's just a stigma. It's a really sick one. It's a really really sick stigma. So. You said you were working in a farm yeah. in upstate New York. Yeah. Where were you before then? What I'm asking before is how, what... How did I what, get here? How did you get here? Okay. Um, Here's I what I do. When I'm on doing my podcast, I ask everyone this question, but it's more tentative because oh, people yeah. don't always want to talk about Yeah, I don't this, mind I usually, about it. Yeah, okay. So, I came from a really, really shitty household. Um, my parents were divorced. Both of them were extremely abusive, and so I'd get kicked out of one house, have to live with the other. 
my mom started going crazy and she would start trying to physically fight me all the time. So I would have to, you know, I'd have to run away from the house because she was crazy. So it was a lot. She was a, she was like a very strict Christian. So I wasn't allowed to have friends. I wasn't allowed to leave the house at all. Like I wasn't allowed to be outside. I wasn't allowed to read books. I wasn't allowed to watch movies. I wasn't allowed, like it was, it was pretty weird. It was like being locked up. And on top of that, when you have someone who's not right in the head and then, you know, she'd come and scream and she'd like push me and she'd tell me to fight her and all this stuff. It was a lot. So, you know, I ended up learning how to be on my own, how to grow pretty fast. I'd have to I'd run out of the house into the woods and spend a few nights out of there and then yeah. know, come back. She'd call the cops on me a lot. So it's, you know, I already, it was already like a thing, sleeping outside and learning how to, to, to navigate all of that. Um, and then when it came to my dad's house, when I'd stay over him, he was just kind of, you know, I don't want to go into all that, but I ended up getting PTSD from living with him. Mm. So, you know, it was pretty, the whole thing, um, didn't have anywhere to go. So the day I turned 18, I uh, put all my stuff in a shopping cart and I left her house because my friend, her parents had heard how I was running away and there was two instances where I'd almost gotten kidnapped um, when I'd ran away. But they'd heard about it and they, uh, they wanted to let me stay with them to, to help me get on my feet. I started saving up money to try to get to, to get a car, and then my dad kind of screwed me over with that. Cause he was, it was just like a hole. Yeah. I ended up losing all the money. And, you know, I was just tired of it. Like, after two or three, it was about two years uh, living there, I just couldn't do it because I, I still had my parents breathing down my neck and just being terrible people. And then I felt like I was letting my sort of foster parents down, and then... Um, you know, I already knew about this community of traveling homeless people, and I had a few friends who were in it. And so I was like, you know, I've always wanted to do this. You know, I've always, I always had to run away. I always had to live on my own anyway. I always had to take care of myself. So, this, so I started doing it, and you know, some days are pretty terrible, but for the most part, you find a, a community of very loving and accepting people because we all come from backgrounds like that. You know, everybody. Everybody, and regardless if they're addicts or not, they're still really beautiful people. You know, we look out for each other. A lot of times you'll see, you know, sober people sitting next to their heroin addicted friends, making sure that they don't overdose. Like, we all carry Narcan. We, we watch out for each other because it's as though, you know, we, we're all we have when it comes to stuff like this. So, that's, that's really what it is for me. And, you know, I try to find work when I can, absolutely. Yeah. But I don't like staying in one place for too long. And this way it's just better. I'm very nature-oriented, so like I said, I went up to, I went to get farm work up in New Paltz in this really cool apothecary farm. Super cool. But yeah, that's... Sorry, now I'm just ranting. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's what strikes me. Both you and your friend seem like very chill people considering that you're homeless. How is, do you find that to be an exception in your homeless community? Oh, no, no. Homeless people are the best people I know. You'll find that they're the most welcoming, wonderful people. You know, sometimes they'll rag on you about stupid things, like like the older ones won't get sexuality or, or you know, gender, just, stuff like that's that. That's also true in the yeah. rest of society. Yeah, but the difference is that they don't treat you like crap about it. They might make dumb jokes at you, but they're still you're still their family, regardless. So that's another thing. It's just, yeah, they're open and, and welcome. Because, again, we're all... We're all misfits, we're all outcasts, all of us. And so we just we just have to band together because that's it, you know. We're all Are you, uh, what's your, what do you want to do? Do you want to, what, do you have a plan? Yeah. Is there, do you want a better life? Yeah, what I'm trying to do right now, because I'm still, I'm, I'm just kind of making it up as I go right now. Yeah. But uh, what I'm trying to do is once it gets cold, I'm heading west. To, uh, work on farms on the west coast where it's warmer I just want to save up some money to have a few months rent like first I want to get a car I already know what kind of car I want Subaru Outback cheap cheap um, parts all that whatever but once I have something I can live out of for a little bit I'm going to keep doing the farm gigs and stuff until I have a few months rent uh, you know find a place to share an apartment with some people hopefully activists and stuff because that's the kind of thing I'm into and then you know find a job and just find a community there yeah. I don't want to be on the streets forever. I have a proposition for you. Hmm. Um, there is no pressure associated with this. 
I live in a house in a. It's a family house, but it's kind of run like a co-op next to the University of Texas at Austin, where I'm a PhD student. And uh, if you want, I can go and see. I'm headed back to Austin tomorrow. Okay. I can go and see if I can buy a ticket, and you can come to Austin, and you can live at my place. I'm okay. I promised uh, the friend that I told you about who is in a band. I play. I play in his band. I play spoons, and I'm gonna be touring with him the next like three or four months. So, cause he's gonna once it gets cold, we're driving out there, and he's gonna. Yeah. But that's a beautiful, you're like a wonderful person. Thank you so much. That's like amazing. You're so sweet. That's that's so nice. When I was in Austin, one day I was just walking downtown. And there was a kid who was sitting on the sidewalk. And he just kind of distinctly looked different from the rest of He was just too young, too green. And so I went and talked with him. And it turned out that he had run away from home earlier that day. And he has run away from home like multiple times. After fights with his mom, he's a single mom, is struggling to bring him up. And he has some psychological conditions as well. And this time he just kind of got on some dude's truck and traveled all the way from, you know, to, to a different city. Awesome. So I said, well, you know, you want to come home with me? And he like came. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I gave him some ice cream, some food, and we're just sitting around. And he first asked me, you, you're not going to call my mom on me, are you? I said, no, I'm not, no, I'm not going to. Well, what really kind of broke my heart was when I said, do you want to come with me to my house? He just kind of plain looked at me and said, you're not going to hurt me, are you? Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm not going to hurt you. And it's just, it was just kind of heartbreaking yeah. to hear that. Anyway, so he came to my place and we just kind of chatted for a while. And then after a while, it's like, I want to call my mom Aww. to come pick me up. I said, yeah, sure. Aww. So uh, That's nice. So I took him to the nearest 7-Eleven. He didn't want to use my phone. He said my mom would be really angry. <laughs> So we went to the 7-Eleven and he used the phone and said, well, my mom is coming to pick me up. I said, okay, I'm going to stay here until your mom comes. And he said, yeah, but you can't like be near me. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want my mom to know that I've been talking to him. So I said, okay. I just kind of sat in the corner and his mom came and picked him up and I was just sitting from inside the 7-Eleven and watched the whole thing happen. That's awesome. But I'm glad that, you know, we have a plan and we have a plan. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not, it's not that hard living out here. People think it really is, but I think that's another reason people for broken homes, like, find this life. It's not all that hard, especially if you, if you actually work for yourself a little bit. Yeah. You know, some people, some people really just break. And they, you know, those are the folks that you see that just, like, lie down on the cardboard all day I like moving around, I like traveling, but you find beautiful folks as well as But that's, I think that's what I like the most about it, is you find the best people. You find the best people in the world doing this. Like you. I wouldn't have met you, oh, I don't think. Okay, so here's something. I feel like you are, you're also a beautiful person, and I feel like you're finding those people that reflect it back to you. Yeah, thank you. I so, uh, so it also has to do with yourself. If you are angry, you're going to draw angry people towards yourself. Yeah. How did I meet you? I feel like I must have some measure of beauty in me in order to appreciate it in another person, regardless of what all the labels are. Oh, this person is homeless, blah, blah, blah. You know, if I can see through that, then I can find where true beauty yeah, and true absolutely. happiness lies. Anybody's willing to sit down and have a conversation, yeah. you know, it's like great in my book because that, that means already that you don't have that stigma built up in your head yeah it's just so great. uh and i could be i could be spending my time on earth is limited and i could be spending my time and attention on so many things so many things demand my attention um well that's how you they know you left but Why then when i do give there? my attention how how dearly is it valued by whatever I'm giving my attention to? Yeah. Um, I once spoke to a homeless person in Austin, 
and he said that he can't hold a job because he has this epileptic like seizures. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's just several times a week he has the seizures and he's just homeless, can't hold a job. So when he described that to me, I felt like, wow, that's a very depressing kind of life to yeah. be living. So, uh, so I asked him, are you, do you ever feel happy? And he was smiling as he was answering. He said, yeah, when people like you come and talk to me yeah. and give me food. And so what I realized was, holy fuck, like, of all the places that I could be spending my attention, look at how dearly it is valued here. Absolutely, yeah. This person, the rest of his life might be some kind of misery as I portray in my head, but the pinnacle of the happiness of your experience is me. Yeah. Like, wow, that's just, <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that crazy? That's just... Yeah. So if I spend 30 minutes of my day here versus in the Starbucks or looking through my phone, Imagine the kind of multiplied impact it is oh, having. Oh yeah, it means a lot. It really does. I, I appreciate you doing this now. It's just, it's very nice. It doesn't take so much for me to do it. Yeah. If you start to value what the other person is giving you, then you realize, oh, I'm not doing such a big charity. I'm just yeah, absolutely. Sitting down and connecting. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing I'm always really like. You know, even before I was on the streets. I would do the same thing, you know, hang out with homeless people, just anybody. Because, you know, it's, you see it. You see the way that they suffer. You see the way that... And it's especially you see how people look at them. And listening to my parents growing up, you know, they'd be appalled whenever I'd, you know, share food or money with homeless folks. It's just it's so sad. But that only makes it that much more valued when people do help us out, you know? Yeah. So what kind of person were you when you were growing up? What kind of oh, music do you like? Angry. Um, for a while, oh, I love, I love a well, lot. I'm of just music. asking, what kind of person are you? Okay, what person <laughs> am I? Yeah. Uh, that's a question. <laughs> um, I guess uh, I'm a very loving person. Yeah. I love people. I love helping people. I love hard work. I really, really love working on farms, stuff like that. But. Um, I really like uh, like punk music. I love punk because it's it's like activism music. You know, you know, there's dumb there's dumb punk where you're just like bah, 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 beer beer. And it's that yeah, kind of yeah. music. But a lot of it is like you know talking yeah. about marginalism and the police and like all that all that stuff that I can relate to. Um, I got into that first because you know I was a really angry kid. Yeah. Um, I used to get in fights like every day, you know, I was that kid in the class who'd like throw chairs everywhere and shit, and it was just because, you know, I had a lot of shit going on at home. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's how I started getting into the music, and that's how I started getting into, you know, a community of people who had either similar experiences or, or empathized, and they, you know, sang about that kind of thing. And, you know, especially with feminism, like there's a, there's a beautiful feminism scene in the punk community activism and all that stuff like you know Antifa and all that all that really good stuff you know you, you find it around there in the punk scene that's something I think with the I have to say like half of the community of the homeless people that I know if not more are super into punk music mm. it's just really really it's good and it's raw and it's it's very DIY because it's like you, you don't know how to play an instrument, you can't sing, doesn't matter, that's the whole fucking point, you know, just express yourself, it's a, like, spoken word with shitty guitar and everybody loves it, you know, yeah. it's awesome stuff, but yeah, I'm very, um, I'm very, it's, it's weird describing myself, um, I love plants a lot, I mean, a lot, um, all my people in the psychedelics, um, conference, they're also just going nuts over plants, yeah, just talking about plants. Yeah, I wish day. I had my uh, my big backpack with me, uh, which is in which is in my friend's van. But I, I'm really into herbalism, like medicinal herbalism and stuff. Yeah. So I have like just bags and bags and bags of all these herbs that I forged and dried, so I can. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Like I've, I want to share them, but they're so far. <laughs> um, so what what, what kind of kinds stuff. like medicines? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like I got a uh, mullein, mugwort. I have different mints. I have. Uh, willow bark I mean just like all this different stuff that treats you naturally so you're yeah. not putting all that 
bullshit in your body and just giving money to pharmaceutical companies and all that, you know, all that crap. It's really awesome stuff. And what's what's really great about it is it's really easy to learn how to differentiate the plants and how. And it's so much fun to learn how to treat yourself from Mother Earth. And so, like most of the weeds that you find anywhere are most likely edible and medicinal. It's really cool. Just gotta learn. Have you, uh, so a lot of the talk here is about mushrooms. Mm. Because it's a psychedelics conference, they're talking about yeah. magic mushrooms a lot. People in general in the psychedelics community have a very positive uh, perception of plants. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of these psychedelics come from plants. Yeah. And I feel like, well, at least personally in my life, I've become more of a vegetarian, etc. Anyway, let's not get into that. <laughs> Um, have you ever done mushrooms? No, I haven't done mushrooms yet. I've been looking, but um, I did. I've done a fair amount of acid for sure. I yeah. love. I love psychedelics. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was. Uh, that's the, the day I stopped eating meat. Is the, the first time I tripped on acid. It was. Uh, it was my 16th birthday, and I was up around the mountains. So which happened first, the acid or your decision to stop eating meat? The acid. The acid. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Um, but I mean, it was, it, was, it was a long time coming. I used to, when I was little, I would cry whenever my mom made me eat chicken and stuff. And I still felt guilty. And I guess the acid was like the last little push because I felt, it was, a, it was a beautiful experience. Like I, it was very overwhelming. I remember I was sitting on this mountain and all of a sudden I was just connected to everything. Yeah. Everything. Like I felt every little thing. And I was just laying there like, you know, just... What do you mean everything? Like, could you... Like, I could feel, like, the roots in the ground, and I could feel the life in the trees, and I could feel, like, every speck of dirt, and I could... It was crazy, and I was, like, going up to plants and, like, touching them, and I could feel their life, and it was just... It was amazing, and then, you know, after I came down from that, I remember... I remember, it was so funny, my friend tried to hand me a burger, like, right when I was coming down, I was like, no, no, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done with this. <laughs> So how long, how many years back was that? Uh, four or five, four or five years ago, because I'm 20. And you've been vegetarian since? Yeah, I've been vegan for most, or I've been vegan for like two years, and then it's like on and off just because it's hard to be vegan when you're on the street, you know, yeah. but I, I don't eat meat, um, yeah, but when I can, when I have food stamps and stuff, I definitely try to eat as vegan as possible. Yeah. It's funny, you find a lot of homeless folks who are vegetarians, too. It's just, like, there's just a lot of empathy in the community. It's really cool. We have a very, uh, we have a very loving and positive outlook Thank on you. life. I appreciate it. Yeah, you gotta be positive. You gotta try. Life, life is a scary, horrible place, and you gotta find the best parts of it. You gotta focus on that, because there's a lot of bad, but there's also a lot of good. And I think you gotta try to be part of the good. Or else, what else are you doing, you know? You're definitely a part of the good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate that. I really so, do. So you are you. You look kind of uh, artistic. Do you ever do any oh, art? Yeah. yeah. Oh, see, I wish I had my, my notebook on me. Yeah, you know, I play music. I do, uh, I make comics. I love art. I have an art page if you want to look at it. It's on Facebook. I don't have a phone right now. That's what I've been trying to make money for. I need a phone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love... I love art. Anything. Like, I, you know, I love sewing. Like I, made, yeah. I didn't make any of these, but I have something I made. <laughs> Anything that has to do with art, I love it. So the people at the psychedelics conference are also all... This is my first... Usually I go to more scientific conferences and people are more buttoned up. And here is just all so many floral colors and patterns That's and awesome. flowers in their hair. I'm like, Whoa. That's awesome. <laughs> what should you guys smoke in? <laughs> Well, don't you know? It's like Wait, a Delica conference, right? I'm not following right? you. <laughs> Do you know what time it is, by the way? Time? Yeah. So what do you play in that band? I play the spoons. Oh, so it's a bunch of spoons that are strung together? Mm -hmm. Or... You hold two... Let me... <laughs> let me see if I have some in here. But I don't think I do. Oh man. It's um 
you take two spoons, yeah. two regular pairs of spoons, and you stick them between your fingers here, so this is the only thing holding them apart, and when you bang it against something, it clicks. Yeah. So, like, and you learn how to do all these different tricks, it's like, like, it sounds, it sounds like a, like a little noisy drum, it's really cool. man, I would have loved to hear... Yeah. I was a drummer in a band. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Hell yeah. What kind of band was uh, it? It was a blues band. Oh, well, oh, when I was awesome. in India, it was um, like a progressive rock mm -hmm. band. And, and when I came to Austin, I joined a blues band. That's awesome. For a while. But then they kicked me out. Oh, screw <laughs> It's fine. Oh. I'll go down to Texas and I'll kick their ass. There's no other having that Japanese festival over there? Yeah. I've got an extra ticket. Thank you so much. Yeah, so you just sure. line up and yeah, yeah, yeah. You're awesome. Thank you. I'm not going to be going to have your cake. I want to give you mine too. Thank you. Yeah. Do you want it? Well, maybe they'll have like food there. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, this is my final day in, in New York. I'm flying back tomorrow. Okay. So, uh, That's cool. Or maybe I should wait for... Oh, John's going to be here on 6. Or is it closing at 6? I don't know. That's why I was wondering. Yeah. I don't, if you want it, it's yours, though. I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I mean, I'll gladly walk into the Japanese festival thing. I just don't know what they need the tickets for. I don't either, because I was walking through it earlier. So, uh, okay, so you play the spoons. You play the ukulele. Yeah, I play the uke, but I don't play the uke in this band. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Do you want to play something on the uke? You don't have to. Yeah, sure. Why this one's a... I just haven't heard you so far. This is an original. Well, I can stand in here the second, no oh lord. I think I'm gonna go insane. When I regret my mistakes, I'm just laid down out of my bed with somebody and I don't know their names. But I won't want them here in the morning. Hell, I don't want them here right now. Folks don't know how to get loving. Now these clowns can get to get to getting down. And now I'm gonna get myself back to that old highway. Find my lover there, I'm sure. She stretches on across the land, makes pieces like tracks in your hand. I'd like to hold hers forever more. And Lord, these roads sure feel like home to a girl who don't got one key. And Lord, these drivers know how to keep. My feet, I'll let you feed me dinner. You promise not to kill me. And the traps ain't taking chances. This is all I got. Taking chances. This is all we got. Taking chances. This is all I got. Besides, some kick down pot that bottle of steel is Taking chances. This is all I got. Taking chances. This is all we got. Taking chances. This is all I got. Besides, some kick down pot that well, I woke up to an officer of the law Telling me to get up off my ass Reached for his gun and I was on the run Didn't want his ugly mug to be the one I saw last <laughs> So I took refuge underneath that old highway bridge, you know There were bones passed around the pipe, didn't know Was it? Bum tossed on a pipe, didn't smell like pot and it smelled right But you know I still gave her a shot Cause taking chances is all I got Taking chances is all we got Taking chances is all I got Besides some kick down pop and that bottle of steel reserve Taking chances is all I got Taking chances is all we got Taking chances all I got besides kick down pot and that bottle of steel reserve. Well, down in Buffalo, nowhere, Tennessee, I met the devil man himself. He shook his hand, he said, Come work for me. God damn, that bastard was cheap. So I cooked his food and I worked his machines until the early morning I could sleep. And I should've known you'd try to rip me off He screamed, you thief, I took you off the streets As I took my leap But taking chances is all I got Taking chances is all we got Taking chances is all I got Besides some kick down pot and that bottle of steel reserve 
That <laughs> Thank was you. so great. That Thank was really you. good. I appreciate it. So, um, the, where did you say you met the devil man himself? Oh, the, the, there, was, uh, there was this motherfucker named Elroy Pope. I was, that was in Texas, did you no, say? No, 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 no. Was, I was hitchhiking through Tennessee. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, middle of nowhere, Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, Tennessee. And uh, he was running a carnival, right? Yeah. So... His, uh, they they lied to me and my my traveling partner at the time. They they were like, you guys need a job, and we we're like, no, we're we're trying to hitchhike to California. And he tells us, he's like, well, we're going that way, and you know, if you work for us, all you have to do is shake lemonade for about five hours a night, and you'll get paid. He's like five hundred dollars a week or something like that. And we were like, shit, if you're going to California, you know, we'll do that. It ended up being, oh, it was terrible, like. We had a place to stay. It was like a like a little. It was like a room and a trailer about the size, like barely bigger than a broom closet. Like there wasn't room to move in there, but there was beds. And um, oh, it was so bad. Like the heat was terrible, and then it ended up lying. We uh, we weren't doing. We weren't shaking lemonade. Uh, once the carnival started, we had to man the rides. And uh, I'm not a big fan of kids. I've never learned how to deal with them and stuff. It's probably because of my own upbringing. But, yeah. you know, I had to work the machines for these little kids, like lifting them up and off this little thing. And then yeah. it's it ended at midnight. And then after midnight, we had to clean up the fair, right? So we go to sleep thinking that that was all the work that we had to do because that's what we were told. And then we get woken up at like 7 in the morning and it turns out we have to work from 7 till 1 a.m. And it's, it was like this whole thing and then they're all extremely sexist and terrible and they were mean. It was like this whole... And then we find out that they lied. They weren't going towards California. They were going to New Orleans. So, you know, it was like this whole thing. But Elroy Pope, oh, he was so funny looking. He looked like a... He looked like a thumb of a man. He was like, he, was like this <laughs> he little, looked like the thumb he, of a man. Yeah, like he was. He was like this big, chunky white guy with his head looked like a thumb, and he was always red, and he had these little toothpick legs. And he, was like, he was always yelling at somebody like this. And he was like, so that, that's that's. Have you ever drawn a picture? Of no, that? I haven't like drawn a thumb with the t- Okay, so because you, you see that thing on your knee. Oh, this guy. <laughs> that's like a thumb on toothpicks. Yeah, no, that's uh, not him. That's my friend did that for me. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was. Elroy Pope. Pope. Yeah, you could so, probably find the page, it's like Pope's Pope's Carnival, Pope's Fair on Facebook. That's a that's a fascinating story. The other one. So you said that when you were in the farm in upstate New York, these people were in some sort of cult in which they thought, oh, they said they could hear the plants speak. And they made you watch brainwashing videos because yeah, yeah. you couldn't hear the plants speak. Or? It was no, it was that it was uh that's not why they made me watch brainwashing. It was like a whole they weren't officially a cult or anything yeah. like that, but they were very they were very closed-minded with their beliefs, which is funny because you know they're like they seem like very open-minded people. They're like these hippie folks, and I'm like, all right, you seem cool, yeah. but if you didn't believe exactly what they believed, mm. then they treated you very badly. So it's like, they asked me if I was in tune with my psychic side. They asked me if I could talk to plants. They asked me you know, all that stuff. I said no. They'd be very passive aggressive. And then during the breaks, since we'd work from like 9 a.m. till like between 7 to 10 or 11 p.m., it's a lot of work. And we'd get about an hour, sometimes less, break in the middle of the day. And uh, sometimes they would, they would get all the, the workers and they'd make us sit in this room and watch like literal brainwashing videos like the it'd be like uh shapes and stuff moving in different colors and like there'd be like a woman's voice like now your brain is reprogramming itself to blah blah wow it was weird it was weird and then you know they'd get mad at me for falling asleep during the videos i'm sitting there like listen i'm working all like i'm working my ass off all day i'm one of the few people who who actually work because a lot of the people who came to that farm they were just like they're just like richer folks who wanted to come and take pictures and stuff because you know it's an herb farm it's an apothecary and they're like wow aesthetics you know and meanwhile i'd be like tilling the fucking soil and like uprooting shit like actually doing work so i'd be covered in dirt and sweat at the end of the day all these girls are like lounging and like yeah whatever so i'm falling asleep during these videos they get mad and they'd be like you're not trying you're not trying to be part of the tribe or whatever i'm like you didn't tell me this is a tribe thing and you know the advertisement just said you need people to help you on farm you know it was crazy like they uh they didn't want us to listen to the same music i mean there's a lot of crazy stuff so no more punk music yeah that was the thing though 
he heard me, one of the leaders heard me listening to like folk punk while I was washing dishes. He comes in and he's like, it's, it's not very tribal of us to listen to all these different musics. I think we should sit down and agree on certain musics and that's all we listen to. And I'm like, what do you know about tribalism? You're some white dude from South New Jersey. Like, yeah, tell me about tribalism, you know? It was, it was annoying. And they sell tea at the markets here, which is funny. Sometimes I go down to the markets because you can use uh, food stamps and stuff there. Yeah. And their tea is really good. <laughs> so I'll what go are to they the food. called? Tweefantine Herb Farm. What? Tweefantine Herb Farm. Yeah. It, it's not all bad. I learned a lot of good stuff there, too. And we had good times. It was just, it was crazy stuff. And they, uh, they blamed me for a lot of the people leaving. And they had told, like, it was this whole mess. But it's, you know, the people had come to me and told me that they wanted to leave because they felt very bad there. Like, they felt mistreated, they felt gaslighted, they felt like they couldn't, like, they felt like they were being watched and all this stuff. So one of my friends ran away from the farm, and they blamed me for it immediately. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't tell him to get out of here. He told me he was getting out of here, you know? And then there's another girl who I told her that she should leave the farm because she's very suicidal and she's, uh, she's bipolar. And so she had come to me and she told me, you know, they're making me get off my meds. They don't, like, and, and, and they don't know how to treat that kind of thing with herbs. So they were, like, using her as a guinea pig. They're, like, they made me get off my meds and this, this, and that. I, I, I only want to kill myself more and it's getting really bad. I don't, I don't know how to control this. And I told her, like, listen, there, we're in upstate New York. There's so many different farms you can work on. Holy Just shit, get yeah. off of this one because if they're making you do this, if this is how you feel, then you shouldn't be on this one. You know, find one that works for you. I had already wanted to get out of there, so... They found out about that, and then they, you know, they called me, like, a shadow person. They are like, I caused discord, and that I... Whatever. And, like, that I only have it, negative intentions. It intention. sounds like they have a certain, uh, a certain narrative mm -hmm. along which they have very strongly aligned themselves. Yeah. And if you're not following the narrative, exactly. you're not one of them. And, you know, it didn't... When they told me that I'm, like, a shadow person and I'm a cancer to their... I was like... I know I'm not because all I ever want to do is help people. Like I, my favorite thing is to make people smile. Like I was there because I wanted to help them. I was, I love the, the. So it's like, all right. By you the know. way, as you were singing, like your face was, it was so beautiful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it was like oh, I appreciate wow. it. That's, thank yeah. you. That's really nice. Um, but yeah. And that was a very, very pretty song as well. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate so, it. So. Um, I don't know how this question might come across, but I just want to ask you plainly here. You can just tell me how I want to answer it. It seems like, I mean, you have talents, you have a certain sensitivity, and you are intelligent. Does it ever feel like you deserve a better life than being homeless? That You know... I've thought about how my life would be different if it was, you know, di different circumstances and whatever. But I'm honestly happy. I'm happy with the way I'm living. I'm happy with being free, you know. I'm not tied down to anything. I'm not tied down to anyone. You know, when it gets cold, I can just go to somewhere warm. I can see the mountains. I can... I think this is where I want to be. Yeah. And when I, this isn't where I want to be, then I'll get out of it, but... So, in some ways, you think that you have something that other people who are tied down don't yeah, have. I think so. You know, I well, think, what do you think it is? I think a lot of people get tied into the, the mundane everyday life, you know. You know, go to work, you, you, you get up, you you know, get your coffee, you go to work, you're tired from work, you, you know, you drink or you smoke or you do something to, to calm down from work, you go back to sleep, you do the same thing every day and then you to make yourself feel better you go out and you buy something or you do something like that and it's if you watch it, it's really depressing, and especially with the system that's going on right now. It's like the economy is so bad. People do that, and they bank on retirement. By the time they get to retirement, they're too old to enjoy anything, really. They can't go out and, you know... Yeah. Like, I can go to a mountain, and I can camp there as long as I want. I can walk up and down that mountain. I can... Yeah. Once I get tired of that one, I'll go to another state, just killing some rivers, like, all this stuff. You know, regardless... You got one life, unless you know you believe in something else. I believe in the possibility of everything. It's I think it's very naive to think there's only one. It's like shit. There's so many possibilities. Who am I to say there's only one? But you know, if this is the only life you got, then you got to live it instead of living it in an office making money for some corporation. You know. So I'm happy. I meet people like me. I get to do art whenever I want. I get to I get to go where I want when I want. And you know, 
you learn that you really don't need much money to live. And you don't need much to live anyway. It's a very free life. Yeah. It only makes you appreciate the things you get more. I am, um, I'm taking, so the things that you said, I already know them to be true. Um, and I, I shit you not. <laughs> there have been times in my life, I've had a very privileged background. I, I grew up in an Indian middle class family, pretty well educated. I was always a very intelligent person, so I, I wanted to do science and I pursued science. Awesome. And I did a bachelor's and a master's and I was like top of my whole university. I came here for the last six years, I've been doing a PhD. And I have a, yeah, I have a lot of potential ahead of me. But then sometimes I feel like I'm following some kind of groove. Okay, because I have a master's, now everyone who does a master's goes and does a PhD. I remember when I was especially, I've had these thoughts multiple times, but especially when I was signing up for a PhD, I felt like, is this really my decision? Or, I know that it's unthink going to be unthinkable for me to tell my friends and family that I don't want to do this, I want to just explore yeah. for a few years. Because once you've got these opportunities, it feels like you have to constantly keep climbing up that oh, ladder yeah. or you slip off and then you just, you know, you, you lose those opportunities forever. Maybe you take a trip, you come back, you're older than other people and uh, those people have gone on to like better stuff. And so there's all of these, this whole framework of fear. Yeah. Even when you are uh, pursuing a very successful career, mm -hmm. especially then I think there's all this fear of... Of, of slipping from it yeah and I started noticing that my decisions were motivated not anymore just by the childlike curiosity for nature that got me into science but there was this whole construct of fear yeah. as well um, and I've tried to in many ways try to work with that so now I'm today here in a conference that I didn't even tell my research group about I just got on a flight and came Hell here yeah. My research is not in psychedelics, it's like in physics, and I just came here. So I'm trying to work with the fear, but specifically what I wanted to tell you when I said I shit you not, is that multiple times in the past, I felt like just leaving everything behind at the spur of a moment. Maybe not even packing a backpack, and just, just going out there, and going and landing somewhere that's so foreign and alien to my past life that I have little to go on. That's like just amazing. get on a train and just like go and work in a, I don't know. I've had fantasies like that and I don't know why. I'm like, what, why would you give everything up and do that? Why would you? Why would you? This is why I haven't done it. But there's a voice in my head that knows the answer. And that voice in my head says, it's because I want you to confront your fears and I want you to realize what you're capable of. And what is weighing you down? Like, because now I have this degree, I have expectations of the people around me, and that's creating a certain involuntary force for me to go and do things that aren't really my decision. So I've tinkered with it. I don't know, I haven't actually done it, but slowly, I mean, they're, like right now I'm sitting down and talking to you. Some years back, I wouldn't have done this. Oh, I'm glad that you're grown. That's yeah. beautiful, bro. I think it's a good idea. I think, I'll tell you what, I have never met one person who's done anything similar to that that's ever regretted it. Not one. I've met lots and lots and lots of people who have talked to me and they've been like, I did this when I was your age, or I did this similarly, or they've done more than me. They've got, you know, done extreme. Not one person has regretted it. Because yeah. you take away amazing things. It's like, um, it's like you tap into humanity. You know, you see really bad days, you see really bad people, you see really scary things and experiences. But the ones that really stick with you are going to be the really great ones. And, you know, I've got memories of when I'm feeling bad. I remember people who have done wonderful things, took me in, made me part of their family, and these travelers and all that stuff, and it just makes me happy. And it's like, I wouldn't give that up, you yeah. know? I'd do it again. I'd do this have you heard of, um, you know, this book and movie called Into the Wild? I love that movie, <laughs> yeah. and I love that book. And the yeah. one thing on my bucket list is to hitchhike up to uh, to Alaska near near the drop-off site. Yeah. Obviously, in the summer, 
time that I can actually hike, but I want to go and I want to visit that bus now and spend a few nights in it. In the bus? Yeah. Do it's you still not there. think that? Do you, do you expect that to be just empty and? Yeah, it's there. It's still empty. It's still empty. Yeah, they have, they. Uh, I they imagine because oh, because it became so such a famous story that people would be flocking there to. Well, the thing is, it's it's in, it's so far. Yeah. You know, it's it's like in the middle of nowhere, Alaska. So you know, not a lot of people that I know of really visit it. You know, not a lot of people want to visit Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, as far as I know, I was looking into it. It's still there, and people hike to it, but it's a flat. They have a so plaque. why do you think that guy... Because it's kind of a similar story to what I was telling you. He was intelligent, he was successful. Um, he could have taken a, a big, well-paying job. When he just left his career and his family, everything behind, burned his money, and it just went off into the wilderness. The natural forceful question that arises is why what was he looking for you know i don't know you know i didn't know the guy i don't know what he was looking for mm. but what i find you know i mean you know the the end thing is like happiness is only real when shared i thought the, that it was really sad and i thought his adventure wasn't a waste but i think at the end when he ended up just being alone I think that's where it took a wrong turn. Um, I can't say what he was looking for. I think yeah. he just wanted adventure. I think he had that natural curiosity. And it wasn't the natural curiosity that killed him. It was, uh, the book was wrong. It's, well, he made, according to the movie, there was a plant that was yeah. okay to eat, but there was a poisonous plant that looked very much like yeah. it. And the, uh, there was actually like lawsuits and stuff over that book, but they, they, they did it wrong. Like they, the illustrations and stuff, it was wrong. So he did what, what he did it right according to the book. But it was the book that killed him. And you know, that just goes back to like, not everything is extremely meaningful. Like life and death doesn't always have to be meaningful. Yeah. Is you know he died from yeah. a from a book error. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. just goes back into the chaos of life. You know, that's that's another. You have reason. perfectly put words <laughs> to something that I have been grappling with. So let okay. So I have a friend called Ian. Yeah. And he's a very spiritual kind of dude. He runs these meditation meetups, but he has a certain measured degree of spirituality. Yeah. So when someone expresses admiration for someone like, uh, what was his name? Uh, Alexander Supertramp. What was yeah. his real name? I yeah. forget. Uh, the Into the Wild Guy. He would like be kind of dismissive. Oh, no, no, no. And this has been pointed out by other people too that, oh, no, he wasn't just being this uh, brave, uh, you know, freedom seeking person, he was just being kind of dumb. There have been people who have lived in the Alaskan, Alaskan wilderness for many years, and they have they know all these tips and tricks and how to. So he died a few miles from the nearest highway. So yeah, he was just kind of did. dumb and stupid. So my friend Ian mirrors these, and I wanted to respond to that, but yeah. I couldn't really put words to the yeah. emotion that I had. And the best that I could come up with was, I, I didn't tell him actually this, but in my head, my response was, if to survive and live and be comfortable and be safe and secure is, was the goal of this person. They wouldn't have done what they did. They wouldn't have left their comfortable life yeah, behind and gone to, to Alaska. Of course they knew they were coping with danger yeah, and risk. This absolutely. is why they wanted to confront the limits of their comfort yeah. and go into the realm of fear. Yeah. And if they never really, if they always did it in some sort of controlled experiment in which they're just actually just kind of flirting with danger but yeah. never really submitting themselves to it, then that would not be the true experiment yeah. that he was looking for. So it's not a coincidence that, it's not <clears throat> stupidity that he found himself like dead of a dumb mistake. He yeah. was deliberately courting with this yeah. for many years. And, but the thing that you just described, it was just very illuminating it's like it doesn't your death doesn't always have to be meaningful yeah, yeah absolutely. i mean i rarely think anyone's death is ever meaningful yeah the people who remain ascribe meaning to it yeah absolutely. because we are so scared of it That's that we want to get to it, like yeah. oh that person it can't be that they died for nothing yeah and so we ascribe meaning to their deaths and That's we try ourselves. to structure our lives such that people will talk about the meanings of our deaths when yeah they're not. That's a construct, really. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I really like the way you put that. It's, like, it's true. We give meanings to the people's lives. It's for our own It's for our own sake, you know. It really is. Because that's why, 
people feel as though someone's death didn't matter when, when there weren't people to care for them. But I think it's, it goes into that whole thing. Like, well, then, you know, does it only matter if people are around you when you die? That's, that doesn't make sense. I mean, that's the way that it is regarded by the people who remain. The yeah. people who remain alive are the ones who will talk about death. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it will always be seen from that perspective. That's why we worry so much about what our legacy is going to be. Yeah. Because we keep hearing from the living people. Yeah. The only way that we hear about other people's deaths is in the way that the remaining living people talk about it. Yeah. And they always talk about it in terms of their legacy. So I've spoken to many people whose goal of their life is in the effects that will outlive them. And to some extent, I understand that. Uh, of course, I want my impact when I'm gone to be a positive one. Yeah. But priority number one is to live. Yeah, absolutely. Me, priority number one. But live so fully and so joyfully and so lovingly yes. that there is no way but for it to be the case that when you're gone, your impact will be positive. Yeah. But to say that that's what I'm doing right now, that's no, that's that's in the future. And you won't be around. You will be dead. Yeah. Exactly. So. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, I always said when I die, I just want my body thrown in the woods. That's it. You know, let me be part of the eco. Let my body be useful. Don't don't bury it in a coffin. Like, what use is that? You know, I won't be in it anymore. Who knows? If there's an afterlife, I'll be there. If not, I won't be. Regardless, my body won't be getting any use anymore. Like, don't be. Don't waste sentiments on on something yeah. on a shelf. You know? Do you uh, do you believe in God? I believe in the possibility of God. I believe, you know, like I said, it's, I think it's dumb to cancel out anything, to everything. There's so many. There's so many theories. There's so many. There's theories that we don't even know. Like, it's all, it's not, yeah, yeah. We, you never know. Um, I'd like to believe there's a God, but I also wouldn't like to believe there's a God, you know? You so would I, like to believe that? I would and I would not, you know? Oh, okay. It's just, like, it, it gets you into thinking, like, and I don't know if there's multiple gods. I don't know if there's, who knows? Seriously. So, I'll tell you the... It's, it's, it's sort of an ancient Hindu idea which I've started to, I guess, believe more and more mm -hmm. because it explains more and more of my experience and what I've seen of life. And the idea is that we are God. In a sense, we are God. That this world that you see, if you look around you, there's just so much going on. There are all these buildings, all these people, and all of them have stories. There's color, there's intention, there's love, hate, anger, desire. It's just, it's an yeah, explosion. Of it really is. So many things just going on. Just, we are in the heart of New York City right now. It's just throbbing with life every yeah. moment. If you look around it, this, the idea is that this is all, in a certain sense, it's an illusion. And why is it an illusion? It's an illusion because... It is ultimately a reflection of God, like God. God was just this one consciousness that created this world in order to enter the world and play with the world and just to engage in life. And so there are all of these myriad forms that look very different. It seems like I am different from you and you are different from this and everything is different because God was one and God wanted for things to be different. And God wanted life not to be easy. It's just a game. Yeah. It's a completely immersive game to play. And uh, That's really interesting. And so and God is playing this game by simultaneously entering into all of these people. Yeah. So we are it. We are just we don't know that we are ultimately the same consciousness. We don't know it yet. That's and so cool. we have to not know it in order to stay in the game. Yeah, absolutely. The more we start to remember our godly identity, the less we will... Okay. I don't want to say the less we will engage in the game, but our our level of engagement changes. That's cool. Uh, our individual stories become less important. Our fear of death starts to erode. And all of these are ways in which you are starting to kind of say... I'm okay even. So all of these fears and insecurities and and limitations are necessary to keep this consciousness playing in yeah, the game. Yeah, that's really cool. For example, if you're not afraid of death, like, why do you want to play this game anymore, okay? I'm, yeah. I'm done. I want to be God again and just kill myself. <laughs> so there has to be all these things. And so 
now my anxiety level about life has reduced a lot ever since I started viewing awesome. it as a game. It's like it's just a game. Just play it. Yeah. It's no I like big that deal a lot. about how is it gonna go? What did I do the right thing or wrong thing? Things just happen. It's all it's all built into the game. Yeah. You can't always be doing the right thing. You can't always be channeling love. It would be so boring if everything was always how yeah. you wanted it to Absolutely, be. Absolutely, yeah. So um, I don't even know what I was responding to. But, okay, so the ancient Hindu idea is that we are all little shards of that one consciousness. And this world is also a reflection of that one consciousness. It's actually all one, but during your lifetime it's fun to just be different. Yeah. And forget. You've forgotten in some ways. That's so cool. Yeah. I like that a lot. I'm glad I could add that to my bank of like, this is another reason I believe yeah. in everything. Like, yeah. that's so cool. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Seriously, that's so delightful. I like your dress. Thank you for joining us today in the Room of Lives. Take care until we get to hang out again.